Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Grind podcast, episode one, talking about the non-sexiness of church planting. I am Dave McClung, and also with me is... Chad Grigsby. The illustrious Chad Grigsby. Uh, We're uh, live from the the dungeon of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention uh, in the capable hands of Nick Burt, our uh, media consultant here at the ABSC. And uh, we're excited to begin this podcast, and we're going to be doing a lot of different things, all all things church planting and missional-related We'll have some interviews with Arkansas church planters, um, those that are planting here as well as uh, beyond throughout the nation, uh, maybe uh, hopefully bring in some international guys as well. I'll be interviewing some some leading missional thinkers around the country, uh, leading church planting thinkers, writers, uh, things along those lines, and, and also sharing some amazing church planting stories. Uh, what's happening here in Arkansas? What has got up to uh, some some great life transformation stories so you guys can hear a little bit about what's happening in church planning here in Arkansas. And uh, real excited about doing this. Uh, this is our first episode, and so uh, we're excited about the things to come. And so uh, we'll be interviewing Andy Swart today. Uh, Andy planted Metro Church in Centerton uh, about eight and a half years ago, and so we'll be talking to him here in just a little bit. Um, Chad, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who Chad Grigsby is? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, really excited about this. Uh, joined the Arkansas Baptist State Convention staff about 10 months ago to be a church planting strategist in Northwest Arkansas. So uh, Andy has become uh, a really good friend uh, up there. Really excited about what God's doing in Northwest Arkansas, uh, a place where there's about half a million people now, and a large majority of those people have no religious affiliation, and uh, a lot of need to plant churches up there. Before joining the state convention staff, I was a church planter in Batesville for six years and uh, at the Compass Church there uh, with uh, with another pastor, Mickey Jones, and uh, just God did, did some amazing things uh, in, in, in the church at, at Compass. Before Compass, however, I was in Memphis at a church, really young church, that uh, ended up closing its doors. So I've, I've seen um, some of the highs and some of the lows of church planting. So definitely know know what that's like. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I've, I've uh, been on staff at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention now uh, going on 12 years. Uh, began here on the Evangelism Church Health Team doing discipleship in small groups and shifted uh, about seven and a half years ago over to do church planting to really create a home for younger, more innovative uh, guys, uh, church planners that are very creative and 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 felt like they really uh, didn't have a home in SBC. And we've tried to create some space for them. And Arkansas Baptists have been amazing uh, in welcoming these young, crazy, creative church planners to the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. So it's been fun, a fun journey 
Uh, we were part of planting City Church and closing City Church <laughs> in Little Rock. So I've been on that journey as well and have pastored uh, around the state and in Texas also. And so uh, so excited about what God's doing in church planting and believe we have the, the coolest job in the world, uh, the, the toughest job you'll ever love, to borrow the old Army uh, slogan there. But uh, God's doing some great things, and we hope to share some of that with you as we move on. And so we're going to move into our interview time with Andy Swart and get him on the phone and spend a little time with him talking church planting and hope you'll be encouraged by that interview. Andy Swart, thank you for joining us on the Grind Podcast, Episode 1. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here, guys. <laughs> well, this is an experiment. Uh, this is our first episode, and so it may go horribly wrong, uh, but you get to be the guinea pig, and so uh, so excited you're here. And we're going to just kind of talk through and, and uh, see if we can uh, uh, talk through some stuff that will really help some of our church planners and uh, learn from your horrible mistakes and and your yeah. wonderful successes and all that good stuff. So kind of share a little bit about your journey in planning Metro Church. And I know the location has always been a challenge and you moved around a lot. So just kind of ch- share that journey of you know how you wound up planning a church and why Metro and where and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I um, started Metro a little over eight years ago, eight and a half years ago. So I don't even know if you're talking to the right guy. Like I remember early on, I met a guy who was eight years into his church plant. I was like, man, you're not a church planner anymore. <laughs> and oh, the arrogance of a young <laughs> church planner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, I was actually pastoring a, a, a small Baptist church here in Northwest Arkansas. And, uh, it was my first pastor. It was there, uh, less than a year and really thought God's called to, to plant a church to reach uh, my generation. So I was born in 80, so I've kind of got one foot Generation X and one foot in Millennials, depending on who you read. And um, and so I really felt that call. I, I started reading a lot of Ed Stetzer stuff and Auburn Balfour's church planning stuff, really just to look for resources uh, for the small church I was at. didn't have a lot of money and a lot of resources. And, uh, it was through that that the Lord really used that just to turn my heart uh, toward church planning and and uh, felt that calling April 7th, 2007. It took the rest of the year to um, start to establish a core team and just work through vision and what was God really calling us to be. And so I tried to leave the, my church that I was at the best way possible. A lot of people understood, some didn't. Uh, but I didn't leave angry or, you know, disgruntled at the uh, traditional church by, by any stretch of the imagination. I know a lot of guys that, that leave that way and always discourage them um, from planning because if the calling's not there, uh, man, you can forget it. It it, it won't last, and, and the church definitely won't survive if the college's not sure. Yeah. So eight and a half years ago, uh, that was a very specific date, by the way, uh, April 7, yeah. 2007. <laughs> so so I'll be in my life, man. That's right. That was a significant <laughs> moment. So, uh, you know, looking back over the last eight and a half years, you know, how do you feel that your church planning has changed you, shaped you, not just as a minister, but just as a follower of Jesus as well? Uh, the first thing's got to be humility. Um, I, I think it's really interesting and amazing how the Lord works through church planners specifically. You know, it's, it, you got to be a pretty arrogant guy to say, hey, I'm going to start something to reach a certain amount of people that no one else is doing uh, through the churches or ministries that are there. But God in His goodness and His kindness, He just um, he puts us in church planning to, to humble us. And so by far, it's been the most humbling thing. You know, I planted the church when I was 28. Don't recommend that. So if there's any young guys that are listening to this, uh, uh, you need to wait. Uh, probably a decade would probably be a good, a good time to wait until you actually plant. And uh, so humility, by far, the biggest part, both um, as a pastor and then also 
uh, my family life that we were, um, I guess about three years in a couple of years in when my wife and I had our first child and, you know, parenting humbles you too. And every season there's been uh, humility that's happened, uh, every single step. The second thing I would say is patience. Uh, I think Rick Warren said rightly that don't overestimate what you'll do in the, in the first five years, but don't underestimate what you'll do in the next 20. Yeah. And so a lot of young guys who are church planners, that's, uh, that's something they're going to struggle with is patience, how hard it really is to build up a, a, a solid core team. And, um, and, and, you know, I, and I've, we experienced slow growth. You know, we, we, we grew very, very slow for the first five years. That's in the last three years that we've, we've grown a lot. And I've talked to guys on the other end that have gone, you know, from nothing to several hundred in, in a couple of years' time, and they've shared with me the heartache of that and and, and their regret or, or their, you know, saying, man, like, grow slowly so you establish, you know, your core identity, establish, you know, your core values, what the mission of the church is, and that you're not just getting disgruntled people that have come uh, from somewhere else, and they've been hurt somewhere else, and they want to come there, and, you know, I always say, well, it's only a matter of time before we light you up, too. Uh, so, so if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a place that you won't get hurt, uh, this may be it. But I, I would say patience. Young guys, we all struggle with patience. I'm referring to myself, 36 now. You know, we struggle with patience, but I think um, in being patient on on growth and on God bringing the right people at the right time, the right leaders, and developing, being good stewards and people that God uh, God brings you, I, I think that's just a key component of being a church planner. So for sure. Yeah, that that's some really good insight. I think uh, every church planter has gone through some level of those type of things at one time or another in their process as well. Uh, what do you think has been the most exciting and fulfilling thing about uh, planting Metro? Uh, undoubtedly, I think it's got to be life change. I mean, if we're not in the business of, of people's lives being changed by the gospel and Jesus, you know, then go sell insurance or ice cream or something. Uh, ice cream. I, uh, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> ice cream. I, I, I'd be a fan of that too. Uh, you know, I, I just think of, of my own leader leadership team that we have, and and you know, one of our elders that um, uh, about seven years ago got to baptize him, see him come to Christ, baptize him, and see him lead and, and love his family well. Uh, my lead deacon, when I first met my lead deacon, he was one of our first twelve people we had of our core team. Um, you know, he was and he was sleeping with his girlfriend, um, was some maybe some form of, of, of you know a binge drinker on the weekends, and seeing him repent of that sin, come to Christ, and uh, marry end up marrying that girlfriend. They have two, you know, amazing kids. He's raising them to know the Lord, love the Lord, praying for their salvation. Um, and so I look at you know individual lives. You know, I want to see the crowd, but I want to look at individuals. How is the Lord changing individual lives? And, and that is by far the greatest, greatest joy. Yeah, yeah. Very good. And you talked about, you know, maybe planting too young, you know, as a 28-year-old. Uh, what, what are some other, you know, challenges, struggles that, that you face that, you know, might really be helpful to some new planters, aspiring church planters that are coming in? Here's some things you need to be mindful of as you're planning some challenges that are on the horizon nothing that obviously can't be overcome uh, with the the work of the spirit and what we're doing but what's some of the biggest struggles or challenges maybe personally or corporately uh first thing is this i mean i would tell i would tell guys that are aspiring to be church planners or or maybe if a guy's just started i always want to tell him listen the grass is never greener at any size and so uh, recently we, we moved from Rogers uh, in Northwest Arkansas to Centerton. It was about a 10-mile move and uh, bought a big piece of property in an existing building. And and I had a church planner, a new guy, just launched at Easter, and he was in there. And he said, oh, man, you've arrived. 
And I looked at him and I said, man, if this is arriving, bro, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> so I think that the, the big thing I'd always tell guys, man, when you've, when you've got, you know, 25 people or you've got 50 people, uh, the pressures at that point usually are, man, am I, get, am I ever going to get paid for this work? Um, am I ever going to be out of having to do the bulletin or the weekly handout every single week and, do it, and being the janitor and, and all of those things? Uh, but I've discovered through all the different phases and all the different growth that we've had is that the pressures just change. It's never, I don't think it's ever gotten easier. And I think that's a testimony to ministry in general. Church planners want to view themselves and young guys want to view church planners as the rock stars of ministry. Um, and I just want to squash that illusion. That's just absolutely not true. Yeah. Um, but I think it should also, for church planners, it should give us a lot of respect and admiration and love uh, for existing pastors who have been in the same church for a long period of time, for that level of commitment and love to give their life to a certain group of people, no matter the size. Um, I, I think for church planners, they, they just have to understand that, man, you, you cannot think that once you've reached a certain size or you've gotten into a certain building or location, that, that it's going to get easier in, in some way. I think the challenge is just always change to what you're currently dealing with, organizational problems that you may have, um, or even mission drift and, and vision problems and course correcting along the way. Um, those, those are all hard. It's never gotten easier for me at any stage, and I don't want guys to you know live with that illusion. And so now I don't worry too much about my paycheck, uh, but there's a whole lot of other um, uh, issues and, and, uh, and problems that, that definitely fill my, my plate up. Um, from time to time. I tell guys this too, balance, when it comes to personal balance, uh, I mean, I've never found a perfect formula for finding that work-life balance. You know, we've got three kids under six now. Uh, I'm leading a, 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 a staff, full-time staff of four. Now a ministry team that has about 23 people. And so I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever found like the formula that works. I think seasonally I have to identify before it gets here to plan, Hey, I'm going to be off a lot more, or I'm going to be spending more time with my family or also prepping my wife to say, Hey, listen, this is going to be a hard season. It's going to be a hard month, a couple of months here, um, because of this, this, and this. And, and what can we do now to prep? So it's not so hard on you and the family, uh, while I'm away, either traveling or coaching or something real busy season, uh, in the life of the church. So, so personally, there's balance. I think corporately, when it comes to the church, I think there's a ministry balance that I missed out on for so long and, and didn't really figure it out until maybe about a year ago. I still don't have it perfected. But So I was an athlete. I played uh, football from six years old and then all the way through uh, college. God blessed me to, to be able to be a scholarship athlete. Thankful for that. At the uh, University of Central Arkansas, go Bears. you got to give a <laughs> shout-out to the school. UCA. And, uh, and so as an athlete, what, what I learned through – football in particular was when you do something right, you get immediate and positive feedback. And when you do something wrong, you get immediate negative feedback. Usually it's a coach getting in your ear, telling you about how horrible you are. And you know, God wastes his time making you. <laughs> and so that was those, those immediate positive and negative feedbacks kind of wire you uh, to, to know how you're doing in, in life. And so when I got into church planning, what I discovered was is that I, I could make a decision and that decision, I would get positive feedback and I'd get negative feedback. I'd get positive feedback because some people just love me as their pastor enough just to have faith and, and believe and trust in me. And, and so they would be all about it. And then I'd have negative feedback from others who, um, you know, just they just weren't on board with it. And so I can make the right decision, get positive and negative feedback. I can make the wrong decision, still get positive and negative feedback. And, and so what it did for me is I always felt off balance in ministry. Am I leading well? 
Was that really the right decision? Lost a lot of sleep over it. Um, and it was only over a, a long period of time, but once we established our uh, church leadership, so we're an elder-run church, and so once we established our elders, once we had our deacons in place, once we had ministry leaders in place, that we were making decisions as a team, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm our lead pastor and, and I run our elder board, but I only get a vote of one, so I can get outvoted. Um, everything has to be vetted by our elders, and so anytime a decision is rolled out, it's not, well, this is Andy's decision, it was, hey, the elders feel that we move, need to move in this direction, and that's been vetted through discussion and prayer and then also research as well. We, we value uh, what have other churches done, what are other pastors doing theologically, uh, what is our defense for this, or what is our position on this. And so, uh, so I would tell guys, you know, if you feel off balance in ministry, I, I understand that uh, completely. Um, and then it just comes to the heart. And most of the time I discovered that, this, you know, where I thought someone was mad at me or somebody was upset with the decision, most of the time it was just in my own head. It had nothing to do with other people. It was just Satan's devices, my own flesh, uh, my own insecurities as a leader. And so thankfully, because of the men that I have around me and our other ministry leaders, it's just been a great blessing to know that you know, I'm not alone in this, and I don't have to carry the church you know, on my shoulders, that we're, we're carrying it together. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. You, you said just a really, like a lot, a lot of really good things there, which I think could be really helpful to church planters. But there's one thing I really want you to maybe unpack a little bit more, and that is, uh, and I think you may have mentioned it earlier as well, that when you step out to plant a church, uh, you're, you're kind of saying, those of you who are existing churches, maybe you're not reaching a certain group of people. We, we find that with a lot of church planters, they have a hard time not being overly critical of the uh, established church. Yeah. And so help help us uh, help younger church planters or, or, or just newer church planters uh, with how do they, how should they view the existing church, which they've obviously come out of to plant and not, not to see it overly, you know, negative. Just give us some of that wisdom on how to, how to relate to existing churches, how to view the existing church as a church planter. Yeah, so our, our church, uh, you know, runs 275, 300 now. We started with a, tw- a quarter of 12. Our first launch service was 18. And so, and really most of that growth has happened since the fall of 2012. And so at fall of 2012, we were about 50, and then we started to grow from that point forward. Um, and that, that could be another discussion. What were some of those things that the Lord kind of did and, and that, that helped us grow? So um, our average age is 26 now. It's 26 years old. We have two men on our elder board. They're in their mid-50s, um, and they're most likely uh, the oldest in the church. We have a retired missionary who's uh, probably about 60, 65. And um, so we, we say, and we say publicly, that you know Metro Church is experientially poor. And that's not something to hang your hat on and be proud of. Because, um, you know, you can, you can draw millennials, and you can draw the college crowd, but you'll discover you can't build a church on them. And it's because the, the maturity that's needed happens in Christ over time. And, and what we discovered was is that for a while, our, our back door was w- as wide open as our front door. And as we analyzed that stuff, as we evaluated it, as we prayed through all these things to figure out why that was the case, we discovered it was just kind of the season and ever flow of a millennial's life. That maybe they were here for college and now they've gone home or they started off their career here and then their career moved them somewhere else. And so, uh, and so we've always, you know, said from the beginning that, hey, listen, we want to be a church that appeals to all, and our focus is young families and millennials for the next generation. So any church planner who comes in who says, hey, I'm planning a church to reach millennials because no one else is, 
that, that's a sinful, hard attitude on his part. That, that the arrogance to think that I've got to do something that no one else is doing is usually formulaic in the sense it's been reduced to no one has contemporary music, and so I'm going to plan a church that has contemporary <laughs> yeah. music to reach millennials. Or exactly. they have Sunday school, and I'm going to start a small group model church. And, and what happens is it's always based upon on form and never on function. Hmm. And so as we've seen the church church history over the years, you see the churches, you know, we have the, you know, you used to have, of course, the, the church was the community building in the 50s here in the U.S., and, and everything happened there. City yeah. politics happened there, city business, and then church gathered there. All fellowship happened there at the church, uh, those kinds of things. And then, of course, we went to the Sunday school model that took place. We're, we've been a couple of decades now into the small group or cell model that we see. Um, and so we have to ask the question, okay, what's next? Well, missional communities or gospel communities is, is uh, very popular now. I, I you know, think there's great things that are there. But I kind of want to look beyond that. Is there another model that's coming, or are we finding a, a root? Are we tying back into the early church model as well? So usually when I talk to guys and they say that, like, oh, I just feel the call to reach this generation, which is our focus, but it was never the bent of our heart, and me personally— to disregard what established churches were doing, there's a there's a wealth of wisdom and resources and coaching and love and encouragement and finances from established churches who have older saints in their congregation that you can leverage for for the kingdom. And and so whenever guys, you know, it usually comes down to this conversation concerning I'm doing this because no one else is doing that. Well, first off, don't you don't paint that broad of a brush. And then secondly. You're not Jesus. You can't be a savior to a generation. You can only be a faithful, faithful steward of the God, uh, of the, of the people that God brings you. Yeah. So, so I always want to come back to that. You know, I mean, you know, I, I seek out counseling and coaching from both church planters and established pastors alike, guys that have given their life to one group of people for a long time. I have two pastors in my life right now that are both in their late sixties and both have been at their church over twenty to twenty-five years, and they are. Dude, we don't do anything the same. Yeah. Our music is thirty decibels higher than theirs, you know. And <laughs> and 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 they do Sunday school, and they man, they are you know they throw events on, and they you know they have an attractional model uh, approach to ministry. But the value and pastoral wisdom I've gained to love and shepherd people well—that's invaluable, and it crosses any kind of demographic focus group you're trying to reach. Yeah, that's great, man. That's great. Hey, we're going to do, at the end of each of these interviews, we're going to do a series of rapid-fire questions we're just going to call Rapid Fire. <laughs> and so, uh, so we're going to fire these at you. Not a lot of elaboration, but we want to get some just uh, quick answers from you, let people know a little bit more about who Andy Swart is and what makes him Andy Swart, and all of us want to be Andy Swart. So how about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. All right, here you go. Top one or two books that have had the most impact on you. Uh, that's tough. Um, that's tough. I'm a big reader, um, yeah. big reader, 2000 plus books in my library. Um, that's tough. As an early church planner, um, here's a business book that had a big impact on me. The E-Myth Revisited by Gerber, I believe is the name Gerber. It's yeah. a, it's an entrepreneur book, but it's huge because I think most planners, most church planners have to understand that you have to move from being a technician, where you actually do it yourself, to a manager, where you lead and oversee other people doing it, to an entrepreneur. Uh, most church planners will test high on an entrepreneurial scale, so they always need to be starting new things. Well, for them to start new things, 
and, and really take risk for the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom, they've got to have other people that are technicians and other people are managers. And that helped me see my role differently. And so that, that was a big one early on, and I keep coming back to it. Uh, even now, as my my role has shifted and changed here in 2016, uh, just this year, and so that, that's a, that's a good one. And then I'm saying church planting anything by Ed Setzer and Auburn Alpers. Yeah. I think every church planter should read 15 to 20 books on church planting, uh, and you have to make you have to make the bedrock Ed Setzer and Auburn Alpers uh, on on church planting basics, absolute basics. You can get into the more of the missional community side and discipleship. Those those are fantastic, helpful re- resources. But I, but I think you actually have to lay a foundation of what is the purpose of the church, why does the church exist, how does a pastor relate to his people, and, and then you can go from there. And, and I, I fear that too many guys are immediately running to uh, some of the guys that are more on the cutting edge of, of methodology than laying that bat, bedrock. And, and so I'd even encourage guys, you know what, ninemarks.org, Mark Dever and Capitol Hill Baptist Church, you, you got to have a solid ecclesiology uh, to understand what is the mission and the purpose of the church before you get into different fo- different forms of community life, whether it be Sunday school, small groups, missional communities, house church movement, anything like that. Uh, I think you've got to lay a foundation of what, what the doctrine of the church is. See, never ask a reader not to elaborate <laughs> and just narrow down to uh, one dude. or two books. I was about to say, we may have <laughs> to change this segment from rapid fire to something to, to, to slow walk. Yeah. So, uh... yeah. <laughs> We talk about books all day, man. That's right. Me too. Me too. <laughs> all right. So these are personal. What's your biggest strength in church planning? What's your biggest weakness to overcome in church planning? My biggest strength is finding all the landmines in church planning and stepping on them. It's just a gift. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. No, I, w- I would say um, just uh, God's just giving me a gift to cast vision. I don't know why. I don't know how, but... Um, but, but he has, and so, uh, I feel a real strong emotional tug and, and, in, and how I structure my, even my work week, uh, to make sure that, I, that I'm casting vision, that I'm casting a future picture, uh, for people to encourage them, to strengthen them, and also to help uh, spur them on, uh, to future ministry. Uh, my biggest weakness to overcome is the opposite of that. It's consistent follow-up, it's execution of plans, it's seeing something all the way through, through completion, um, and so thankfully we've got other men and, and my executive pastor who, who is very gifted in that, enjoys that part of ministry. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my biggest weakness for sure. What about uh, favorite hobby or pastime? Uh, man, I like wood projects, like working in my garage, uh, spending time with my family. Uh, that's just the most, you know, de-stressing thing on the planet. What, what's something you've built? Family. What's something you've built recently? Um, I built a new workbench for my garage, wow. so it's pretty fancy. So, I did not know that about I, you. Learned something yeah, new about tables, any sport. I've made end tables. Uh, hopefully, the summer project will be a dining room table and a dining room table for my wife. Sweet. Um, See, I thought so, that I thought that beard that you had was just facial decoration. Now I know it's legit, man. You're like a woodworking <laughs> yeah. man. You're channeling yeah. your inner Amish. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Coffee table, uh, shelving. I've made several things over over time. All right. How about your favorite movie all time? Oh, come on. Uh, cliche, <laughs> but true. I mean, it's got to, it's got to be uh, Braveheart um, or, you know, Gladiator. Top that is Gunner. not surprising at all. Again, the beard yeah. is backed up That's with right. real manliness. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be. It's just, it's got to be. How about your favorite band? Or musician? Uh... That's tough. I'm kind of in a season of life where I'm reflecting back on the stuff I listened to in my early 20s. And so um, 
Thrice is a rock band that came out with a new yeah. album, and so listen to their new album this week, and then also listen to their old catalog, Counting Crows, um, some newer stuff, Explosions in the Sky, Ben Howard, Bears Den. So there's some rock and there's some singer songwriter stuff. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a closet Taylor Swift fan because I got a <laughs> four year old girl. And my girls like T Swift, and so you know, by proximity, I, I like T Swift too. So. Yeah, it's awesome. Ex- explosions in the sky is really good for like sermon prep. That's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely inspiring. Yeah. Well, there you go. Rapid fire or a slow walk with Andy Sport. <laughs> However you want to look at it. Yeah. So, man, hey, thanks, thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, you were a great guinea pig or lab rat. However you want to uh, categorize that for this first episode. So, appreciate you, man. Any of the above. Yeah, I love you guys. Appreciate what you guys are doing. You too, Andy. Right, Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Good stuff from Andy. Really appreciate him taking his time to visit with us. A lot of good wisdom uh, for young, especially young church planters or, or newer church planters uh, that he gave us. A couple of things that stood out to me. Uh, first of all is uh, how, and this is kind of the question I re-asked him, is how do you, as a young church planter or a new church planter, how do you engage with the, the the local church or view the established church as you're stepping out to plant. And I, I think that's a big a big deal, a big thing that we deal with as, as yeah. church planting strategists because there's a lot of guys who come out of the established church to plant because of the established church, because there's something in the established church or, or some experience they've had or something they see that the church isn't, that it should be. Yeah. And so a lot of church planting is a reaction uh, to the established church. And some of that's probably good going to happen. That's what produces church planting. There is some holy discontent exactly. or you would stay where you are. Exactly. Uh, but at the same time, uh, viewing existing churches and existing church pastors as the enemy or not realizing that, hey, that existing church shaped who you are exactly. as you're stepping out to plant a church. That's you right. know? And so don't don't think that you're not who you are in Jesus because of all of your life or part of your life being a part of that established church. So that stood out to me. Uh, and they uh, laid the foundation that the church planter is now building on. Exactly. I mean, you don't have an opportunity to plant a church without that established church well, laying that foundation. And Andy said that, even even resources and funding. You know, who's going to fund a poor church planter? Right, right. Well, it's not going to be a two-year-old church plant very That's likely. Right. It's going to be, you know, maybe a First Baptist. That's right. And I'm not saying you should just say nice things or be nice to First Baptist to get their money. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I am saying that if you want partners, you know, I think maybe even Dave said this a while back to me, people have to like you, you right. know? And, 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 and so I, I thought that was just really important, what he said. Another thing he said... I think in his experience is there's a there's a big difference and we talk about this a lot with guys too there's a big difference in planting a church and planting a worship service. Right. That you know if you just want to you know have small groups and have contemporary worship and you think that you're just going to knock it out of the park uh, you got another thing coming. Right. You know and in some communities especially in our state I think that that would be the case. You could probably grow a church by doing small groups and contemporary worship. But what you're going to draw is, I think, the majority of a bunch of churched folks, which isn't terrible. But in church planting, it's about making disciples and evangelism of those who don't know Jesus. Right. You know, so uh, I think it's just a huge, huge thing to make sure when we're planting churches, when churches are planting churches, as new church planters step out, that the focus is to make disciples, 
that ends up in a church and not just planting a worship service and hoping to make disciples. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the big challenges each church planter faces is that tension to to build something that is sustainable, self-sustaining without having to depend on a lot of outside resources and moving there too quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things that really stood out in, in Andy's conversation that I, I love, and I've heard him say this before, when he talked about his time playing football in college, that the the great thing about being a, an athlete is is when you do something right, you get immediate positive feedback. When you do something wrong, you get immediate negative feedback. And so you can correct or celebrate or whatever, and you know kind of where you stand with the coach in, in those moments. And when you're planning a church, he really kind of talked about moving from player to coach when he, when he talked about church planting because you can get both positive and negative feedback for the same decision, uh, just like a coach does. Right. Uh, he calls a play that, that run, works well, everybody likes it, others don't. You know, So uh, the same thing in church planting. You're, you're going to be scrutinized for every decision you make, and some people are going to like it and some people don't. So it's not this clear-cut line between positive and negative feedback. You're going to get it over the same situations, the same instances. So that's something to... To, to wrestle with and understand going in, and it's it's a whole lot different for guys that have not pastored before when they're planting churches. That can be kind of a culture shock for them and a difficult moment when when people are criticizing decisions they've made and they've not had that criticism at that level before. It's different when you're in that pastor's chair, and uh, and so that's that's a good word for for new church planners to to hear. Yeah, what do you what do you think are some things because I, I I think about that a lot, having you know been been in a church plant and faced some of that. How how would you? Because it's really hard not to personalize that. Right. I think Andy even said he became a little gun shy as a leader. Yeah, and I think I've experienced that. How do you how do you um, process that criticism and that praise at the same time without overly personalizing it, but also maintaining being a leader? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how, how do you think? What are just couple of things that you think. You, you know, my dad always told me, uh, in, in every criticism, there is a kernel of truth. Uh, take the kernel of truth and throw the husk away. Um, and so so that's kind of how I've tried to deal with that. Now, obviously, with maturity and experience and wisdom that comes, you handle that better than than you do when you're younger, and things are more personal, and and maybe you're less, in, you know, less secure uh, in who you are and where you're going and what God's called you to do. And so I think you know, age helps with that. Uh, the the number of criticisms that you weather, you know, helps with that and gives you some wisdom in how to respond in the moment to lessen the the fallout of the criticisms and your reactions get better. And so and and then over time you you really just develop I think a, a comfort with with who you are in Christ and what He's called you to do, and understand that there are going to be people people who like the decisions you make and people who don't. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're there to please the Lord and what He's called you to do. And if others come with you, great. If they don't, you still got to do what God's called you to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was Tim Keller who said, "Don't let an overwhelming uh, a lot of praise go to your go to your head, and don't let a lot of criticism go to your heart." Exactly. You know? and, and there's got to be a balance. I, I would think too. One thing that helped me is to consider the source right. of the praise and of the criticism. Yeah. You know, is is this a person who's criticizing you who only comes once a month and right. doesn't 
give and invest and or is this an elder or a small group leader right. or you know a deacon is this somebody who uh, some one of your staff members you know who's who is it that's giving you the criticism or the affirmation and that i think that helps navigate a little bit of that you know uh, if this is warranted or not you know yeah, absolutely. hey three of the three of the six elders really have a problem with that well that's that's a bigger deal than three just you know regular attenders. marginal members yeah yeah so consider the source but uh, yeah really really helpful i think uh, to to keep in mind yeah when key leaders are offering criticism typically if they're a key leader in an in, in an influential position then they care about you uh, yeah. Or they would not be a key leader in that position. They care and so, about the church, and they care about the church. And so, those are people you really need to pay attention to, because if they're offering criticism, it's to help you get better, uh, and to keep you from making some some dumb mistakes. I mean, all of us uh, have experienced that. So, uh, so that's that's great. Hey, we want to do a section we did rapid fire or slow walk with Andy Swart, and so we thought it'd be good for for Chad and I to answer those same questions. So I'm going to ask Chad these rapid fire questions, and we're going to do it in rapid fire fashion. (laughs) Bring it on. That's right. So a couple of words, one sentence for each response. So top one or two books that have had the most impact on you, Chad? Most important book to date in my 35 years is uh, King's Cross by Tim Keller, just the clearest explanation of what the gospel is. Great. Biggest strength in church planning? Oh, goodness. Um, probably like Andy Vision. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest weakness? Strong visionary. Uh, biggest weakness? Uh, oh, I don't know. Probably organization and administration. Yeah, I, d- I don't buy that one. Uh, I've worked with you enough now to know that's not true. Okay. <laughs> Favorite hobby or pastime? Uh, definitely soccer, namely U.S. soccer. But everybody who knows me probably knows that, <laughs> yes. and it's probably annoying on social media it to is, most people. It's not just on social media, in person as well. In person, it's annoying. Yeah. My wife sees it in my closet full of soccer gear and <laughs> mocks me, but uh, continue yeah. to buy it. That's right. I don't know. That's right. Favorite movie? <laughs> Um, probably Hoosiers. Oh, good I just one. love Hoosiers. Grew good up one. watching that. Jimmy Chipwood or whatever. Was it Chipwood? Jimmy Chipwood? Something like that. Anyway, love yeah. that guy. Jimmy. Great movie. Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. Favorite band musician? Uh, probably John Mayer. Yeah, knew that was I, coming. I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, just guitar playing ability, thoughtful lyrics, and you know, stank faces when he sings <laughs> into the microphone. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, all right. Now we're going the other way? Yep, yep. Rapid fire to Dave McClung here. Top one or two books that have impacted you the most? Uh, I've got a, I'll say two. Uh, Resident Aliens by Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. Uh, an incredible picture of the church and the place of the church in the culture. Uh, Shaping of Things to Come by Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. That's not going to be a surprise to no, anybody. had to be an Alan me. Hirsch reference yeah, in there somewhere. Yeah, huge paradigm shifting moment for me. Huge. It's huge. It's huge. All right. Uh, biggest strength in church planting? Probably the relational aspects of church planning, connector, love people. All right, biggest weakness? Um, <laughs> administration, follow through. Uh, I, I was thinking about the weakness thing when I said administration. Maybe it's lack of self-awareness <laughs> since I think administration <laughs> right. is a weakness and it's not. Right. Uh, all right. But this is about you, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favorite hobby or pastime? Ah, uh, man, music. Uh, I love racquetball, so... Yeah, I'm a racquetball guy. That's that's so surprising. I don't know why that's funny. Sorry. You're saying I'm fat? I've never never, <laughs> never heard you mention racquetball. Well, I haven't played in a little while, but I love it. I've, I've known so. you seven years, six, seven years. Yeah, man. You used to play all the time. 
Still do every now and then. I blew out my knee, though. That kind of messed me up. We need to play some racquetball. All right. Favorite, favorite racquetball movie of all time. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Favorite movie. Uh, it's got to be Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Hands it's down. Uh, Shawshank Redemption is a close second. Favorite band or musician? Uh, I'm a metalhead. I'm a rocker. So uh, Dream Theater uh, as a progressive metal band is my favorite of all time. Uh, but I'm also a huge Black Crows fan. So there you go. Close second. All right, we're going to do one more segment uh, where we talk about our bookshelves. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. Church planners are big readers for most part, and and as we all know, readers are leaders, and leaders are readers. So we want to share uh, books that that we're reading right now that are impacting us. And so I'll go first on this. Um, I can mention two or three right now, but I just finished uh, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And Charles, if you're listening, I probably butchered your last name. I'm sorry. But uh, just a great book on why we do the things we do. What are the cues that key habitual behavior, whether positive or negative, what moves us from, you know, uh, sitting on the couch and eating potato chips to running a 5K, you know, the just just great stories of how people changed habits that changed uh, the ways they lived and, and uh, just some great stuff for um, that, that applies to spiritual disciplines as well and uh, in our walk with Christ. So, so great, great book. Very good. Uh, most... Recently, I've listened to the book Flesh by Hugh Halter. I got to listen to Hugh at the Centralized Conference. It was in Little Rock a couple weeks ago. And so I picked up his book and uh, listened to it on audiobook, finished it in just a few days. Incredible book. One of the things that stood out to me that was just super impactful was him talking about how the incarnation really should be the center of our understanding about Jesus. Yeah. Like, we, we typically think about the cross or we think about the resurrection, which is obviously central. He says, but if we if we go straight to the kind of the quote-unquote end of the story without thinking about incarnation, we miss a lot of the nature of who Jesus is and subsequently the nature of the church and those of us who follow Jesus. So just talking about being incarnational, uh, taking on flesh and being a tangible representation of Jesus in the world. Uh, super good. Super, I think, uh, has a lot of uh, practical application for church planters, yeah. uh, and, and so I highly recommend it. Especially in the area of evangelism. Uh, yes. Great, great resource. On yeah, I mean, he's he's just a guy who, I think he talked about uh, Jesus Jesus has this process of, of bringing people to himself, and it starts with incarnation, then it's reputation, then it's conversation, then it's confrontation, then it's transformation. Right. And what he talks about is when we often engage people who don't know Jesus, we go straight to the confrontation. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of what we have in, in so-called drive-by evangelism, yeah. you know, or just you go right to the com- confrontation of pointing your finger in people's chest. And we said, that's just not the way of Jesus. Jesus came incarnation, dwelt among dwelt among us, had this presence and proximity. Then he built a reputation for being known for for what he was known for, healing and loving and compassion and mercy. Uh, he was he was known by that to the religious leaders who called him a 
a glutton and a drunkard right. and a friend of sinners, you know. Yeah. But he built this reputation that then led to conversations. And right. and he one thing he pointed out that I loved is a lot of people were initiating the conversations with Jesus. Jesus right. was not initiating the conversation with people. Right. Like, because he had this reputation, they were coming to him, yeah. which then led to confrontation. He said almost people confronting themselves about their sin that then produce transformation. So gosh, how helpful yeah. is that when you think about evangelism, church planting? So just been, I think he knocked it out of the park. Great man. stuff, yeah. great stuff. Yep. Well, and speaking of, of Hugh, we, we've got some things coming up that we want to make you guys aware of, some events, and then kind of what's coming up on the next episode of the Grind podcast. Uh, we actually have Hugh Halter coming to Arkansas on September the 24th confirmed as of last week. And so we're excited about that. And uh, I'm sure he'll be talking about some of his evangelism strategy as well as uh, how to be a bivo, uh, bivocational church planter and just the rhythms that come with being bivocational and how to help guys balance life, family, ministry, all that good stuff. And so that's coming up. i uh, got some exciting things on the horizon we'll be telling you more about as they come. For the next episode, uh, our hopes are to interview Brad Briscoe, who is a church planning catalyst with North American Mission Board in Kansas City, as well as one of the, the leadership team members for Forge Network, which is a missional training network uh, in America and uh, uh, throughout the world as well. And a huge Chiefs fan, unfortunately. A huge unfortunately. Chiefs unfortunately. and Royals fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All I, things Kansas City. I can deal with the Royals. It's the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. so he may talk about some of that in our interview. So uh, we're excited about having Brad, good friend to Arkansas, good friend of ours, and uh, looking forward to talking with him in the future. So thank you guys for listening. Chad, sayonara. Yeah, good Until times. next time. And... Uh, Blessings to you guys, and I pray that God shows up in big ways in your ministry.